Let's stand together for the word. Thank you, Samuel. I want you to take your Bible and open it to the second chapter of Matthew. Matthew, the second chapter. Hey, help me welcome all of our Athens family. Come on, tell Athens. Come on, y'all. Tell them good morning. Good morning, Athens. We love you. We should probably pray for Pastor Chris. His Florida Gators got beat by LSU Tigers. There was a whole lot of points they scored on you, and we know your feelings are hurting this morning. So we want to lift you up in a special prayer time. And may the Lord bless you, Pastor Chris and Amy, Devin and Ingrid, the entire family of God there in Athens. We, got, we give God praise for his blessing and what he's doing in Athens. We're thankful for all of God's goodness. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read today. We're going to read this together. And I want to preach a message today called, Where Are You Christmas? Where Are You Christmas? How many ever saw The Grinch, the movie The Grinch? How many were blessed by the anointing on Cindy Lou Who's life? Cindy Lou Who. She was looking for Christmas and said, where are you, Christmas? My life is changing. I'm rearranging. And she couldn't put her finger on Christmas. And I, I know this is a little bit different today, but I felt like this week God wanted us to be encouraged that the Christ of Christmas is able to be found. You can find the Christ of Christmas. And there is hope in him. Amen. Let's read together Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem near Jerusalem during the reign of King Herod. After Jesus' birth, a group of spiritual priests from the east came to Jerusalem. And they inquired of the people, where? Everyone say where. Where is the child who was born king of the Jewish people? We observed his star rising in the sky, and we've come to bow before him in worship. King Herod was shaken to the core when he heard this. And not only him, but all of Jerusalem was disturbed when they heard this. So he called a meeting of the Jewish ruling priests and religious scholars, demanding that they tell him where the promised Messiah was prophesied to be born. He will be born in Bethlehem in the land of Judah, they told him, because the prophecy says, and you, little Bethlehem, are not insignificant among the clans of Judah, for out of you will emerge the shepherd king of my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the spiritual priest or the magi from the east to ascertain the exact time the star first appeared. And he told them, now go to Bethlehem, carefully look there for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I can go and bow down and worship him too. And they left, and on their way to Bethlehem, suddenly the same star they had seen in the east reappeared. Amazed, they watched as it went ahead of them. And it stopped directly over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were so ecstatic that they shouted and celebrated with unrestrained joy. Lord, let somebody in here to do that today in Jesus' name. 
And when they came into the house and saw the young child with Mary, his mother, they were overcome and falling to the ground at his feet, they worshiped him. They opened their treasure boxes full of gifts and presented him with gold and frankincense and myrrh. Last scripture. Afterward, they returned to their own country by another route because God had warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. Where are you, Christmas? Jesus, help us today. I feel like today, Lord, you want to bring hope and you want to bring strength and you want to bring your peace that passes our understanding. We can't find what we need in other places. The only place we can find it is in your presence, Lord. Would you help me to preach today and help them to receive today? This is your house. This is your word. These are your people. Now be glorified in Christ's name we pray. And everyone said amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. I love the story of the wise men. One of the most mysterious groups in all the Bible are the magi or the wise men that we read of here in Matthew chapter 2. This week I wondered, how would it have been had it been three wise women? They definitely would have been late. They would have spent more money. They would have brought Jesus some shoes <laughs> and some stockings <laughs> and an outfit or two. <laughs> the wise men come to Jerusalem and they ask the question of a wicked king. Where is this Messiah who is born king of the Jews. They were looking for him. They wanted to find the Jewish-born king who had been promised and prophesied of for hundreds of years. And the Bible says that when they came to Jerusalem, their inquiry about this Jewish-born king sent shockwaves throughout all Jerusalem. Who were these men, the Magi? Who were these wise men that traveled from the east to find this child? Well, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of information about the Magi. But if you study history and you look throughout the Word of God, you will find that the Magi are actually rooted in the concept and the story of Israel all the way back from Joseph in Egypt to Balaam in the book of Numbers, and even Daniel and the three Hebrew children in the Babylonian captivity. The Bible is clear that the Magi have been active in the story, most of the time in the background, but they have been active in the background in the story of God. And the book of Daniel chronicles how this king of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem, and destroyed its walls and its city, and he mercilessly drug Israel out of their hometown and back to Babylon and made them his slaves. 
History reveals that Nebuchadnezzar was in the habit of gathering the best and the brightest from the foe who he had defeated and vanquished. And he would take these astute leaders of these nations he had defeated and he would place them on his advisory board, his, his wise men, this group of magi were, were this group of stargazers and dreamers and intellectually astute men of their day. And when Nebuchadnezzar captured Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and you may not remember those names, but, but we often call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I'm not sure why we know them after their Babylonian names and not their Jewish names. But the reality of it is these three men plus Daniel, their leader, were taken into Babylonian captivity and they were placed among the leaders of Nebuchadnezzar's advisory board. And the Bible says in the book of Daniel chapter 1, just for a little bit of background here, Daniel chapter 1, that when the king looked uh, for those who had wisdom and understanding, the Bible said in every matter of wisdom and understanding that King Nebuchadnezzar questioned them about, he found that Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah were ten times better than all the other magicians and other magi in the whole kingdom of Babylon. Thus the story of the magi begins to take shape in the book of Daniel. Listen carefully. When a Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar, seeking an interpretation for a disturbing dream he had, he called his magi in and began to threaten their life. And this is all found in Daniel chapter 2. The, the magi come into Nebuchadnezzar's presence and Nebuchadnezzar says, if you can't tell me your dream, my dream, and you can't give me the interpretation, then I'll kill all of you and I'll turn your houses into piles of rubble. How does that sound for a boss? And the Bible essentially reveals to us that these magi have no clue what to say. They are about to be killed. Their homes are about to be pulverized. And just at the last moment, Daniel steps in. He tells Nebuchadnezzar his dream. He reveals to him the interpretation of the dream. And the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 2 verse 48 that because of Daniel's wisdom and gift of interpreting dreams, Nebuchadnezzar put him in a high position, gave him many gifts, and in fact, he made Daniel a ruler over entire provinces in Babylon. And, and, and we know the story of how the three Hebrew children were given a promotion as well. And all of that to say this, these men from Israel living in Babylon were given access to the Magi of Babylon. And for 70 years, these leaders and these sons of Israel began to share the prophecies, we believe, with the people and the Magi of Babylon. And it is there, with those prophetic words being declared in their hearing, that we believe the Magi got excited and began to look for this promised Messiah. I can imagine Daniel reminding the wise men of Babylon. I can imagine him telling the Magi of Nebuchadnezzar about the prophecy of Isaiah in the 7th chapter and the 14th verse 
When he said, Behold, the Lord himself will give you a son, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth the son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. I can imagine the sons of Israel telling the wise men of Babylon that the prophet Micah told us that this king born of the Jews would be born in a land, in a place called Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. I can hear these sons of Israel telling the Magi of Babylon about what Hosea said when he said that the king would take a trip down to Egypt but then would return back home. I can even hear them telling the Magi of Babylon what the psalmist declared, that the shepherds would come and bow before this king, that, that the kings of the earth would come and worship this king of the Jews. And they hear these prophecies from the people of Israel who are in Babylonian captivity and they're sharing this word about this Messiah who's coming and, and we believe it is there that the interest and the, 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 the desire to see this king arose in the hearts of these Babylonian Persian wise men. Mesmerized by the prophecy, the Magi of Babylon who studied the stars would have immediately began looking to the sky for a celestial sign Show us where and when the arrival of this king of the Jews that you have prophesied about will come. And they immediately began to look into the sky and consider now that the Jews were taken into Babylon, watch, 600 years before Jesus was born. 600 years they had held on to a promise and a prophecy that this Jewish-born king would come and would liberate people in bondage and set people who are in captivity free. 600 years. The Magi waited 600 years. 600 years they looked into the sky waiting on a promise. 600 years they waited for prophecies to be fulfilled. 600 years they waited on the king to arrive. And now we fast forward to the second chapter of the gospel of St. Matthew. And the Magi of Persia, of Babylon, in Herod's day, have come to Jerusalem because they, after six Hundred years of waiting had finally seen a sign in the sky. God took the expanse of the atmosphere and the sky and as if it were a billboard at his disposal, painted in the sky a star, a supernatural sign and wonder in the heavens to capture the attention of some people who had been waiting. Where are you, Christmas? I want to first of all tell you today for people who are looking for the joy, who are looking for the peace, who are looking for the presence, who are looking for, listen, if you're looking for Christmas and trying to find it in a COVID-laced society and in a year filled with setbacks and a year filled with questions and a year filled with division. If you're looking for Christmas, the first thing I need to tell you is it comes to those who will wait on it. 
We don't like to talk about waiting. When we come to church during the Advent season, we don't preach on waiting, but everything about Christmas regards and has to do with waiting. Mary had to wait nine months to have Jesus. Elizabeth had to wait nine months to have John the Baptist. We think because Jesus was supernaturally conceived by the Holy Ghost, Mary just got him on Monday and had him on Saturday. But the bottom line and the truth of the matter is Mary carried Jesus in her womb like every mother carried their child in their womb. She had to wait. There is this thing called the fullness of time. God is not interested in speeding up processes because we're in a hurry. Because great things take time. Can't find no help today. The Magi in Babylon waited 600 years to see the star. And in this microwave society that we are all living in, we seek shortcuts. We want quick fixes. We like rapid results. We glamorize devices that save time. But God, the God who owns eternity and sits outside of time will not be pressured or intimidated by our hurry and our schedules. He will not be manipulated by the impatient. He will not be hurried by those who want it now. He has set his watch according to his own perfect will and in due season everything he said will happen just like he said it and there is no power from hell that can stop the motion of God's will when he said he'll do it mark it down it's a done deal the problem however is that when we get the word of the Lord we often don't get the waiting period from the Lord. How long before I have to, how long before, how long do I have to wait before this thing comes to pass? Well, I don't know how long you have to wait, but I know how long Abraham had to wait. 26 years. Nobody wants to preach this. Nobody wants to hear this preaching. But God is not a microwave God. He is a marinating God. It takes him a while. You gotta sit, you gotta soak. Come on in here. Who wants a microwaved filet mignon? Not me. I want a filet mignon. It takes hours to prepare for. The pellet grill has to warm up. Wrap it in bacon. Soak it in marinade. Yes, and when you think it's done, let it sit a little longer. And then cook it real slow and real low. Don't cook it in a hurry. Because if you want something really good, it takes some time. And there are some people in this room today who've stopped waiting and stopped the pursuit because it didn't happen when you wanted it to happen. And I felt like I need to tell some people waiting on Christmas, wanting to know where they can find the joy of the Lord. It's coming, but it's coming to those who know how to wait. And not just wait any old certain way, but wait like Paul said. Patience in Romans chapter 5 verse 4 worketh character. Something's happening in me while I'm waiting on him. I'm not just waiting on him and pouting while I wait. 
I am becoming more like him every day that he delays what he promised. It doesn't mean that it has been denied. It simply means I'm not ready, but in the fullness, oh, I've got a word for somebody. Galatians chapter 6, 9 says, be faithful in doing what is good and whatever you do, don't quit because in due season, you will reap if you do not faint. If you want to know where Christ is, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I recognize that there are people who would criticize the kind of folk that I grew up in church with, but we had some good theology in our songs back then. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. He's an on-time God. Yeah, I might sing it right now if you don't help me preach I might just take off and start singing I want you to know he is on time if he promised a mama in here that he'd fill your womb I feel the Lord on me right now you've been waiting on a baby somebody's been waiting on a baby for a very long time but God told me to tell you don't stop waiting now don't stop anticipating it now somebody's got to get their faith back somebody's got to get their promise back and know that no matter how long it takes if God said it, he will do it and finish what he started. Tell your neighbor, wait on the Lord. We wait on all kinds of things. We wait on the craziest things. We wait on Tennessee to have a winning season. I'm stopping. <laughs> we wait on all kinds of things. And yet we get bent out of shape when God doesn't come. I remember when I was 18, 17 years old, right before I went to Lee, in a series of about six months, I received about five prophecies that came from significant voices in my life and in the kingdom of God. And these prophetic words, and let me tell you, Paul said you need them. He told Timothy, you do warfare by the prophetic word that's been spoken over your life. There's something about a real word from heaven when it's spoken over your life. It becomes a sword in your hand in the day of battle. The devil tells you you're going to die, and you say, no, I'm not going to die. I'm going to live, and I'm going to declare the works of the Lord. Well, how do you know that? Because the prophetic word over my life is this. God said he was going to do this, and it hasn't happened yet. Until it happens, I'm standing on the word. And all these words began to come to me in about five months. I didn't know anybody. I was raised in the smallest church, and it was the sweetest people, and it was the godly place with a godly pastor, and he preached the truth. And all of a sudden, these words began to come into my life, and, and it's, you're going to do this, and you're going to go there, and you're going to preach, and you're going to... And I didn't know any of that at the time. Nobody told me that all those prophetic words would take a lifetime to live. I got the words, and then I thought, next month, let's go. Let's do this thing all over the world. Let's go right now. I'm 19. Sometimes God will show you something that is for a season to come. And how you respond in the season you're in will determine when you get to step into that season that is to come. Some of, you, some of us want a prophetic word, but God doesn't let it come because if we got it, we would drive everybody connected to us bananas. 
trying to make it happen. Listen to me very carefully. When God says something over your life, all he needs is your yes. He doesn't need your power. He doesn't need your, 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 your politics. He doesn't need all of your connections. In fact, he'll often take away everything else that you were leaning on that you might trust to make it happen. And when you have nobody who can make it happen, he'll make it happen so that there'll be no confusion. Who did it? I feel like preaching. Some of you have got too many people in your life that you can trust to bail you out, trust to take you over, trust to break you through, and God wants to get you in a place where he does the pulling out and he does the breaking through and he does the bringing you over. So when you come to church, you don't sit here trying to impress people. You praise the living God who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Is anybody blessed because Jesus blessed you? Where is Ricky? I feel like preaching today. You're going to have to wait sometimes. You're going to have to wait. And I'm going to tell you how to wait. The best way I have found to wait is to worship while I wait. I'm not going to get no help, but I'm going to worship all by myself today. I found out you can either pout or you can praise, but you can't do both at the same time. Somebody, I feel the Lord here, is about to accelerate their blessing because you're about to lay down your pout and put on a garment of praise. I'm not going to whine, I'm going to worship. I'm not going to pout, I'm going to praise. Blessed is the Lord. Blessed is his holy name. He's a good God, and what he started, he will finish. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, worship while you wait. Tell them praise while the time passes by. The wise man, the magi, they wanted to know where can I find Christ? Where can I find this Christ of Christmas? And in order to find him, the first thing they had to do is wait. Some of y'all are singles in here. I've been talking to you lately. Because I've been praying. Because if this world is going to have victory, we need some godly houses to be raised up. Y'all don't have to say amen. But now come on in here. If you're called to singleness, embrace it and love it with all your heart. But some folk just need to get serious about their future. You can't play video games your whole life. I'm not going to get no help, but I feel like this is God right here on me to talk to somebody. You go, you've been waiting, but I'm waiting right now. Okay, it's wonderful to wait. Now, the second thing the wise men are going to teach us is while you're waiting, you got to go searching. Single people, he that finds a wife, men, men, he that finds a wife, findeth a, how you gonna find something you ain't looking for? I ain't getting no help. We, <laughs> the wise men waited 600 years. Watch this. I need to do a whole series of dating off the wise men. <laughs> 
The wise men were waiting for 600 years. When they saw the star, they started searching. Now, you must understand something. God, in his love and kindness, will put a sign on the canvas that you're looking at. For the Magi, he painted a star in the sky. Why? Because they would have been looking to the sky. And God, being so loving and good, he knows how to get your attention. Well, you say, Pastor, I don't look into the sky. Well, God may speak through, if you're a mechanic, he may speak through a car. Y'all can't handle this, can you? See, the problem is this. We think God is, I heard this in my prayer time this week. God said, Kevin, do you think I just need preachers? You think I need, you think I really am limited to me revealing myself simply through your preaching? I can reveal myself to anybody at any time, and I'm doing it because I love humanity. If God will put a star in the sky for a magi, he'll speak to you. <laughs> I think about my, my daddy who is a, is a fisherman and an expert fisherman. For some reason, God has never hooked my dad up with real gospel-loving believers as it regards fishing. Maybe a couple here and there. But over my life, my daddy has got the craziest people in the boat with him. <laughs> it's a true story. I'm talking about Charlie who had no teeth, no jaw. He didn't have anything. <laughs> These people whose real names are not even given, they're known as people like Bubba. <laughs> we don't even know what they're, Bean, Beanie, whatever his name was, crazy people. Why am I saying? Because my dad didn't wait on, on, on somebody to jump in the boat that was saved. My dad found that fishing was evangelistic. So many people would come to church because dad got them in the boat. And somehow the boat became a lesson that grabbed the attention of a lost man who didn't know Jesus, he just wanted to fish with Big Ed, and Big Ed took the opportunity to take the fishing trip and make it a missionary journey. What's the point? The point is, God may not, I feel this right here, y'all, God may not find people in church, or he may, but I will tell you this, he is so interested in lost people that if he's got to put a star in the sky to get their attention, or put a fisherman in a boat, or a mechanic in a, in a garage, wherever he's got to go, he'll get your attention and show you how much he loves you, and he'll pull you closer to him. And when he shows you a sign, I don't believe in signs. Read the Bible. God is the God of signs and wonders. He gave the Magi a sign of a star in the sky. We just read it to you today from Luke chapter 2. He gave the shepherds a sign. Behold, you shall see this sign, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Well, what was that for? Because shepherds understood that when lambs were born, they wrapped them in swaddling clothes. When they said, this will be a sign to the shepherds, the angel said, this will be a sign to the shepherds. He said, I'm going to show you a, a savior who's wrapped like the lambs you've been wrapping and taking care of all your life. God knows how to speak to you and communicate with you. Watch this, and reveal himself to you right where you are. 
And when he, listen, when he shows you a sign, then you got to go searching and looking. Jesus, I'm getting ready to freak some people out. Jesus didn't go to Babylon. He pulled the Magi from Babylon closer to him. We keep wanting Jesus to come down here, and there are times when he will comfort us. But most of the time, he's so good, he says, I'll be with you, I'll never leave you, but how about I do you a favor, John? Come up hither. Y'all miss what I just said. I'm going to give you a sign, and I'm going to pull you closer to me because where I am, I want to bring you to where I am. And that's why God will often give people who are lost a little sign. He's trying in his love to reach out and say, I got my eye on you. And I want you, and you say, Pastor, um, I can't find God. I want to ask you a question. When is the last time you searched for him? Because Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah chapter 29, this is very clear. He said in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with your whole heart. How many know what whole heart pursuit looks like? I can assure you of this, family. I would not be married to Devin today had I not sought her with my whole heart. Borderline harassed her. Her daddy was finna call the police on me. Because I was everywhere she was. I knew her schedule. I told y'all this story before. The first time I saw her, God spoke to me and said, that's your wife. I said, Komashe, Papa Hassanda. Yes, Lord, it is. Glory. Watch this. I wrote her a letter. Never met her. Never even said, hey, what's up, girl? <laughs> no. Devin, my name is Kevin. God told me we was getting married. This is a true story. And I brought her a teddy bear and put that note with the teddy bear as if the teddy bear. Every time, every time she walked, I just had my eye. You say, Pastor, this is crazy. You're weird. No, I was searching for her with my whole heart. I love, when you love something, the proof of love is in how you pursue what you say you love. And there are people, I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks here, but there are people in this room, you, are, you, are, you feel absolutely discouraged because you don't have the spiritual thing that you're wanting. But if you take an inventory of what you have invested to get what you have been anticipating, what you have been anticipating does not match your level of investment. I can't find no help in the church. We want something from heaven but have not given our heart to the Lord. He doesn't want you just to go through outward demonstrations of hunger. The prophet Joel said, rend your heart not your garments. Stop, stop tearing everything in life up because you simply haven't taken time to give God all your heart. If you search for God, Jesus help me, if you search for God with all your heart, you will find him. They went through the trouble. These men from Babylon packed up everything. This wasn't like a little day's journey. 
At minimum, historians tell us that their journey was 400 miles. Most say that was 700 miles away. There was no Ferrari. There was no, there was no Ford Fusion. There was no Jeep. There were camels. They packed up the camels, got on the camels, and went 700 miles through tough terrain. Why? Because they were searching for something that they wanted. I cannot promise this house that your journey to chase Jesus will be fraught with tulips and dandelions and be a peanut butter and jelly pathway and will always spring up roses for you but I can tell you this the search is worth the trouble when you find him when you see him you will forget about the pain you will forget about the valleys you will forget about the defeats and there will be nothing between you and him and it will be worth the journey when you see Jesus what are you searching for? What are you chasing? What are you pursuing with intentionality? Is Jesus worth it to you and I? Is the journey and the challenge and the trouble of getting all packed up, is it worth it? I want to say something and I'm moving on. We are in a moment in our nation whereby the enemy, in my perception, is trying to establish a new normal. This is in the Bible. The book of Daniel said that the beast would come and try to rearrange and re-identify times and seasons and laws. He wants to write his own version of the world's history. I feel the Lord on me. I want you to hear me tell you that what we're in is not a new normal. I resist that the church will now be relegated to a couple of siblings and a mom and dad sitting in a house watching me on a screen. I'm thankful for technology, but don't you ever forget for a moment that the ecclesia is only powerful when she comes together and summons the king of glory with their worship and they make their confession known. I... I know this doesn't take masses and multitudes, but I want to tell you right now the agenda of the enemy to pull churches apart and shut churches down while strip bars stay open is a demonic assignment and the church must understand that if the enemy is wanting to divide us and separate us, there must be power in our coming in together in unity. I am condemning no one I want everyone to stay in a place of safety. I just don't want you to get used to it because this too shall pass. I intend on, Lord have mercy, I intend on pursuing and praying and searching and going after God harder in 2021 than I ever did in 2020. This moment is not an invitation for people who can't make their mind up about what they think about God to just check out the devil is a liar. This is a moment for the hungry to seek after him, to search after him, to pack up your bags, go through the trouble, raise your family in the house of the Lord. This is not time to walk away from the cross. We need God. They searched for him. Where are you, Christmas? Where are you, Christ? 
Jesus, where are you? Where can I find you in this crazy world? What are you searching for? When's the last time you sought him in prayer? I'm not condemning or criticizing. I'm just asking. When's the last time you sought him in prayer? When's the last time you went through the trouble of a, a prayer time or a fast or something that you do on this earth to send a signal to heaven? I need you. I cannot live without you. Well, that sounds like works. That's the problem with this generation. Now everything is works and we do nothing and it doesn't matter what we do, we're all saved and God wound us up like robots and we just walk through life and no matter whether we pray fast or search for him, we're just going to have whatever we have and that's what he wanted us to have. You have been deceived by that false theology. Prayer moves God. Prayer changes me, and in time, prayer changes my situation. And there are too many people, Lord Jesus, who have stopped seeking him because the enemy has lied to a generation and told us that prayer doesn't really move God. God's going to do whatever he wants to do. Nothing could be further from the truth in this book. Had Moses not prayed, Israel would have been wiped out. Had the apostles not prayed, the Holy Ghost may have never fallen. Your prayers, your hunger, your searching for God will shake you and this generation into a position to experience blessing from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. Go after him. Search for the Lord. Seek after God. You will find him if you look for him with your whole heart. They sought him. Let me give you a little, a, little, a little clue here, a little blessing, and I'm almost through. Let me give you a little clue about this. While you're searching, even when you're searching and you haven't found what you're searching for yet, and you haven't gotten what you wanted to get yet, and you haven't gotten where you wanted to get to yet, know how to discern times of rejoicing. <laughs> Can you imagine this? They leave and travel 700 miles on camel. They get to Jerusalem and the star disappears. What in the actual world is going on? I went through all the trouble to get to Jerusalem to find the king and now the star that I was following has disappeared. What kind of God would do that to me? You got me on this journey? You got me following this star. I'm leaving my homeland and I'm going to a place I've never been looking for a king that I heard about but don't even know if he's alive. And now the star that I was following is gone. What do you want me to do? How many have felt like that before? Don't lie. God, I was following this. I was feeling real good about it. And now I can't find what I thought I was following that I thought was taking me to the thing you were taking me to. So they went to the king and they said, where is this king born of the Jews? Herod said, tell me about this. What are you talking about? Well, we've seen this star. And we, we can't find it now. The star's gone. Can you tell us? where we can find the king. 
And what if God took the star away from you and I for a season because he wanted to mess with an evil king and get the attention of people and let them know who were not looking for a star that there is someone born in this city now who may not be sitting on Herod's throne, but he will sit on the throne of David and forever he will reign. And I think God allowed the wise men to come to Herod just to get Herod bent out of shape. Herod cannot handle that a new king has been born. Watch this. And as soon as they, read the text, as soon as they leave Herod's presence, the Bible says the star reappeared. Now watch this. Watch this. They still hadn't gotten to where they were going, but the star reappeared, and what did they do? They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I read the Passion Translation today because it appropriately captures the notion that is intended in the Greek by this word rejoice. It wasn't that they just, you know, oh, the star, it's back. These magi, I believe they started clapping on two and four. Picking them up and putting them down. Dancing and celebrating and shouting. Why? Because they had found him yet? No, but because they had seen the star again and they knew we're going to find him. See, you've got to learn in your journey when to celebrate and praise. Even though you haven't gotten to where you're going yet, you know you're going to get there and that God hasn't left you. Anybody, anybody in this room today who can say, you know what, Pastor, I'm not there yet, but I do have some reasons to celebrate and I do have some reasons to praise God. And even though I'm not what I'm going to be and I'm not where I'm going, I saw the star. And I know that if he showed it to me first and he showed it to me again, he'll take me to where he's leading me to. And I just need to praise him that what he started in my life, he's going to finish it and he will not leave me like he found me. The last thing is this. If you want to know where Christmas is, not only do you wait, not only do you search, but number three, you worship. There's a reason why this world doesn't have a lot of joy right now. We've gotten our eyes off the main thing. I'm talking to church people. I am sick of politics. Yeah. It's important what our government does. I'm not trying to make light of that. I just think our joy is far too conditional in the church. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I actually think you're supposed to be having joy no matter what the country you live in is doing. I want to do right. I want to have people in Washington that value what God values. But I, wanna, I just want to present something to you. What if a day comes when hellions and witches and warlocks are making and calling the shots in the halls of our legislator and in the offices of our executive branch? What if our court system doesn't have conservative, God-fearing, Judeo-Christian principle-believing leaders and lawyers and justices 
Somebody said, he said conservative. That's not a political statement. That's a statement of life. I don't mean it like, wait a minute. I, I want to be clear what I'm saying. I mean conservative in the sense that I'm not letting a liberal agenda that is godless. How do you know it's godless? Because people said, let's take God out of it. Now, that might be all right with you, and you might accept that. Me and my house don't, and I tell my kids, I don't care what they voted on or said, as for me in this house, we're going to bow down and pray over every meal, and we're going to give God praise every day of our life, and I don't care who takes God out of the pledge and who takes prayer out of school. Fool, you can never take prayer out of school. As long as there is a student that comes to this house that goes into that school, I'm telling you, you may not let them pray, but you won't keep them from praying because everywhere they go, they'll lift their voice. We must stop the insanity. My joy is not conditional on what people in Washington do. We've gotten our eye off the prize and stopped worshiping the one who can change it all. They came into his presence. And I know that in, even in my own house at our kitchen, we've got an island and I've got this big nativity scene sitting on the island. And it's got Mary, Joseph, that weird looking little baby in a manger. And it's weird, y'all. The way they made that baby, it just, I'm like, somebody could have done something else for Jesus. This... <laughs> Watch this. Two sheep, a cow, a donkey, an angel, and three wise men. I know that's what we see everywhere we go. I don't want to break tradition or break anybody's heart, but the reality of it is two things. Number one, there probably were not three. There was probably a large entourage. That's how they traveled, number one. Number two, the baby wasn't in a manger when they got there. Read it. They came into the house. Most people believe he was a year, maybe a year and a half old when the wise men finally found him. Why does it matter? It doesn't really matter, but I just want you to know the truth. When they came in, the baby was in the house, and this entourage came in. And they were carrying what the Bible calls in some translation um, treasures. In the, in the actual Greek, it is like a coffin. This is crazy. They didn't bring him like four pieces of gold and a chunk of frankincense and a little bit of myrrh. Can y'all imagine being Mary? Scared to death, trying to wonder how you're going to raise this child. No Medicare, no tent care. None of that. How am I going to get him to Egypt and back? And all of a sudden, they look through the window. Joseph, come here. Joseph, you ain't finna believe this. Who is this, Joseph? And all of a sudden, Magi from Babylon pull up in the front yard with cases on wheels full of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The star is parked right on top of Jesus' house. And they walk in, and when they, when they walk in, they start throwing gold. And they start handing him frankincense, handing the family frankincense and myrrh. And wait a minute, y'all. 
This baby hadn't healed a blind man. This baby hadn't preached a sermon. This baby hadn't multiplied bread and fish. This baby hadn't turned water into wine. This was a baby. But they did not bring him worship because of what he did. They brought him worship because of who he was. I'm going to my car in a minute, but I feel like preaching in here before I go. I want to tell, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. I want to tell somebody in this room today, if he never does another miracle, if he never heals another body, if he never makes a way where there seems to be no way, if he doesn't do one more thing for me, oh God, the wise men teach me that I do not bring him what I bring him because of what he does. I bring him what I bring him because of who he is. How does anybody in this room today believe that he is the king of glory? Does anybody in this room today believe that he is the lamb of God that takes away the self? I just want somebody to bring him some worship. Somebody give him a praise. If he doesn't have to do one more thing for you if he's already done done enough somebody give him praise because of who he is Jesse he's the root of Jesse he's the son of David he's the lily in the valley he's the bright and morning star he's the resurrection and the life alpha and omega the beginning and the end Somebody give him 10 seconds of prayer. I challenge us. I'm through preaching. Stand with me. I challenge us to stop worshiping when it does something. Oh, ain't nothing wrong with giving him praise when he does something. You ought to be able to say thank you when God blesses you. But I challenge this house to take the next step of worship and not just worship him for what he does, but worship him for who he is. I think about the wise men bringing in frankincense, gold, and myrrh and worshiping him as the king. Think of that thief hanging on the cross who was getting ready to die for crimes he had committed. Jesus' head is swollen, his eyes sunk back into his skull. His brow is bleeding, his side is riven. His back has been emaciated by the beating of cat of nine tails. He's asphyxiating on his own bodily fluid. He cannot breathe. His face is swollen. His lips burst. Body torn apart. And the thief, the thief, looks upon this beaten Messiah and calls him something that I still to this day have to process. He looks at this bleeding Jesus and he says, Lord, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? See, some people know him after the flesh. 
He's just another spiritual guru. He's just another religious icon. Jesus is just another who came claiming some way of eternal life. But some do not know him after the flesh. They look upon him and see even though he died, he is still Lord. The Magi looked upon him and even though he had not worked a miracle, they still called him king. And they worshiped him with frankincense, gold, and myrrh, and they worshiped him with all their hearts. And this is what is beautiful. The Bible said that being warned by God in a dream, they went back to their country. One translation says it like this, a different way. I know that means in the simplest sense, they chose another route home, but I I like to think that it not only means they chose another road back home, but they went home different than the way they came. Isn't it funny how you can come to church one way, meet Jesus, and leave a different way? (laughs) Oh, he's good, isn't he? I said he's good. Are there any ex-alcoholics, any ex-drug addicts, any any ex-liars, any ex-cheaters in the house who can testify, I came in one way, but I met Jesus, and I went home a different way. Who am I talking to? Anybody, anybody who's gone home a different way? Where are you, Christ? Where is Christmas? Where is hope? What are you searching for? What are you worshiping? How hungry are you for him right now? If you're hopeless, it's only because you haven't looked into his victorious eyes. I know your eyes like flames of fire. I know your hair's as white as wool. I know your voice is like many waters. Jesus, you're beautiful. Jesus, you're beautiful. Jesus, you're beautiful. Jesus, you're beautiful. I'm going to pray for people in just a moment, but just 30 seconds of worship. Jesus, you're beautiful.